Welcome to Stirring Faith with Cherry Strange, formerly the She Yearns podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Stirring Faith aims to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Now, let's get started. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I wanted to start by telling you something that we do at the Strange House most nights. We gather together. We read something from the Bible generally. I think we've gone through the the New Testament completely, and we've gone through several books in the Old Testament. But more recently, we've been doing a series of books since this COVID thing has begun. We, We sort of veered off, and we're doing something different. But then at the end, every time, we always ask for prayer requests. And this is just our family. But we want people to become familiar with doing that in a situation that's intimate and close. And then we ask one of them to pray. It's rich for many reasons. But I love this last aspect because it allows us to really get to what praying together is all about. It gives us a forum. It allows for familiarity with the whole concept. But it lets us talk about what God is really working on in us, in our daily lives. It gives trust here, vulnerability, true grace, and a wall of support for each one. But as we move forward, we are able to see and discuss God's movement in all that we've been bringing out on the carpet. And it points each person to the reality that there is power in prayer. Well, how do you and I experience power in our prayer life? What makes prayer powerful and effective? Today, I want to bring you an example from Scripture that we have recorded three times in the Bible that illuminates a situation in which prayer, the interaction between an individual or two and God, changed the present situation. From it, we will take five keys to powerful prayer. Now, this year, I'm reading through the chronological one-year Bible so that it's not like reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's taking it by a historical timeline. It does allow you to see historical events as they unfold, but it also gets the chapters a little bit jumbled and the books because it brings things together. The story of the king of Judah, King Hezekiah, and his relationship with the prophet Isaiah and the ensuing threats the Assyrians were making in the time they were trying to capture Jerusalem is recorded in the Bible in three places, in Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah. So as I'm coming to this in this chronological Bible, it's putting it all together right in the same place so we can see it. And God does nothing by chance or accident. And the fact that we have this three different places and three times in Scripture says to me there's something about these moments in history that we need to understand. So when you read it all together, a commonality becomes clear. It's about prayer, God's relationship with His own, and they're relating back to Him. It's also about the king and the prophet Isaiah, and they're sort of what we might call the A-team. We might call them the special set-apart ones of the day. These guys are what we might consider to be the popular ones with the super awesome platforms with millions of followers with whom we cannot compare. You might be tempted to blow off the whole example as irrelevant because of that context and the fact that the kind of relationships spoken of are not for you. Well, the story is God relating to sinful man. That's the story. His relating with them, not for exclusivity, just the opposite. To illustrate that relationship, the one 
we feel is too exclusive, too far off, not for us, not accessible, nigh on impossible to partake of, is exactly for us. And maybe, just maybe, if he puts it in front of us three times, maybe we will get it. You know, we only get John 3.16. We only have that one time. And it's been enough to bring millions to glory. Maybe today, you and I can begin to receive what is provided for us in Scripture in order to begin living out these five keys to experience powerful prayer in our lives. We might never be the same if we will begin to incorporate these. In these overlapping passages, we find three separate and distinct prayer interactions. The first occurs on the heels of all the fortified cities in Judah being taken by the king of Assyria. See, it's not just Jerusalem. There's a lot of other cities out there, and they were fortified. Hezekiah had worked on helping them be defendable, but the Assyrians came and took those over. So that's already happened. The other places in the surrounding areas like Egypt are not faring so well against the Assyrians either. And there sits itty-bitty Jerusalem, holding firmly to their trust in God that no one can see and there's no physical thing to worship. In marches a bad guy who's been sent by the king of Assyria who makes a big speech to all the people on the wall and the officials who report to the king And he makes it in Hebrew so that everyone can understand, saying some pretty nasty things about God and his inability to save them. You can read about it in Isaiah 36, 2 Kings 18, and 2 Chronicles 32. And I want you to hear, when they bring this to the king, what his response is. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Ammon. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all of the words of the Rebshaketh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And so he returns, and he found the king fighting, and exactly that happens the way Isaiah had said it would. The second instance comes just after this first threat has come in person with the news bringer from the king of Assyria. The same bad guy sends a letter this time with all the same sorts of threats. Problem is, it's kind of full of truth. They have pretty much wiped out every kingdom that they've come against and no god has been powerful enough to stop them. So Hezekiah once again goes to the Lord and this time He takes the letter with him to the temple. He spreads it out before the Lord. And this is beginning in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. And he prays, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words 
of Sennacherib, which is the same person we heard of before, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So God sends Isaiah back to the king to tell him these words because the Lord has heard him and Isaiah is not present to hear the prayer, but God is giving Isaiah the message to let him know that it's been heard because Isaiah's job as the prophet is to speak on behalf of God. Then Isaiah, the son of Ammon, sent to Hezekiah saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he goes on and on and on about all the badness that's going to happen to this king. Then the Lord declares his destruction and the bad guy is killed by his own sons back at home. The third interaction I want to mention, because it occurs shortly after these events, is also recorded three times. Assyria continues to be a threat. Isaiah is sent to tell Hezekiah to get his house in order because he's sick and he's not going to recover. The Lord is sending this message to him. Well, Isaiah turns to leave. He's leaving the building. He's told him the message. And Hezekiah, where he is, turns his face to the wall and he prays this prayer. Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And that's Isaiah 38.3. And the next verse is just amazing. And this one I took from 2 Kings 20. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Syria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. It's clear there were no introductions needed between anyone in the story. Close ties were had by all in how they related to God. No one had to say, God, it's me, Margaret. <laughs> Hezekiah is not a stranger to the house of God, and he knew what to do in these desperate moments. He has the right response for someone in a right relationship. This communication between them is less like some kind of faceless chat room we might find ourselves in, and more like the person you are in close contact with, who knows you, and you know them. Because the road between them was well-worn through good times when tragedy struck there was not the question or hesitation about where to go or what to do so the first key that we find in this interaction is that we need to make prayer a well-worn road and it exactly mirrors the words that Jesus speaks in the book of John if you remain in me Jesus says and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you that is a result of a well-worn path between the two and then he later says you did not choose me but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will remain 
so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. If you and I want powerful prayer, we need to recognize it doesn't just bloom and blossom in the difficult moments, in the tragedies of life, but the daily treks together making ruts in the road of life. Make prayer a well-worn road. That's the first key. The second key provided in these examples from Hezekiah is that prayer is more than words. I don't know why we need to know this here, but God is seeing that we do. For some reason, we need to know more about his response than just his words. He tears his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He went to the temple. He turns his face to the wall as though there's nothing more he could do. He weeps bitterly. Have you ever been with someone who's clearly praying the same prayer they've prayed for more than a decade? I mean, it's emotionless. You've heard it before. It's almost scripted. It covers all the bases, yet says nothing. It's just words. Maybe that prayer has been your prayer. There is a response in prayer with God that is whole body, or yet better, whole person here. And for reasons I cannot know, but I can take note of, God has made provisions for us to have us know this, that powerful prayer, like those here, are more than words at times. But then this is nothing new to Paul, who teaches us this is how the Spirit operates in our lives. In Romans 8, 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. Clearly, it's more than words. It may be that you and I need to be aware that this is an integral part of prayer, that it is powerful. And when the occasion calls for it, as these did, to be free in your relationship with God, to pray with more than your words. Key number three, in all three of these situations, Hezekiah lays everything out. Nothing is held back. That is the key. He's not holding on to the edges, per se, ready to escape to another source if God doesn't come through. Listen, you may never know how powerful you, as the individual prayer, are. Sometimes we mistakenly feel like our prayers, or your prayers specifically, maybe are not as effective as someone else's. That God is really not attentive. I mean, he's listening, but in the, he's got the whole world in his hands, sing-songy sort of way. So we hold back in terms of belief, reliance, hope, and anticipation of what may come as a result of our prayer. Because who are we? Well, that kind of thinking is not biblical. We find that in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Or Ephesians 3.12, In him and through faith in him we may enter God's presence with boldness and confidence. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. In Isaiah 30, 19, O people of Zion who dwell in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious to the sound of your cry. And when he hears, he will answer you. Your prayer can be powerful. That's the bottom line here. He hears you and he will answer you. That is his heart's desire. Consider what Hezekiah prayed. Even in the final prayer, every situation is a Hezekiah problem. 
and should be Hezekiah-centered. But the complaint taken to God is not that at all. It's so different. Key number four is to pray God-centered prayers because that's what Hezekiah does. Look at what they're saying about you, God. Look at how I've lived and what I've done that is good in your eyes. It's all been for you. Nothing about Hezekiah's kingdom and keeping it all together for the glory of man do we see here. This is really important. How centered on God are your prayers? Or are they mostly reflective of your own wants and desires? James explains why his contemporaries were experiencing lousy prayer lives. He says in chapter 4, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. How many of us are guilty of this? From one time or another, this could very much be expressed on any medium on any given day to most profession Christians and be true at some point or another. Instead, we need to embrace making our prayer God-centered, just as we see in these examples. And the final key is to make God your only hope. That's what we see here. To Hezekiah and Isaiah, there is no other option. God is the only path. Egypt will not be the answer. Their army is not going to be able to stand against this king that's coming against them. King Hezekiah, although extremely successful previously, can't do it. And he knows it. Complete reliance on the only one who can bring deliverance, the God of hope, is the path. Again, this key is found by living out the other four keys we've just discussed. Hear what God revealed to Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. This is a guaranteed if-then relationship. Why would we leave such goodness on the table? The psalmist prays these words because he's come to know it by experience, which you and I can pray and come to know also in Psalm 10. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. There are more than five keys available when it comes to experiencing powerful prayer. So much to learn in the pages to come to a more robust relationship in praying with the Lord. It's not so much about getting the results we desire, but in the knowing, in the ability to grow in understanding and intimacy with the God of the universe. The reality that this is possible is mind-boggling. Don't wad that gem up in your pocket. Spread it out as far as it will reach. Use your privileges as a believer in Christ. Keep this prominent example in mind three times. A person who was near destruction, hoping beyond hope that God would come through, taking all that he knows and believes about God that's been thrown in his face by the surrounding culture, blasphemy about his God, into the sanctuary where his only hope is that God would be who he says he is. There are not even any words part of the time. He even has the audacity to plead for his life. And what is God's response? You no good, rotten, never satisfied loser. No. The response is this. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. This is the word the Lord has spoken. Do not miss that. Let this be said in the heavenlies about us today. Let this be the legacy spoken of us in our day. That your powerful prayer changed current situations. That because you prayed consistently with what scripture teaches us about prayer, God moved in ways we couldn't have fathomed possibly otherwise. Now that is powerful prayer. So different than what we normally do here, but in light of our subject at hand, 
I'm going to pray us out of the podcast today. Lord, I ask that you teach us, that you draw us toward yourself in this intimacy of prayer. Help us only have eyes for you in the mundane and in the victories, as well as the sorrows and the despair. I ask that you become irresistible and our very joy. Make us into powerful prayers for your glory and the good of your kingdom. Amen. All right, as always, I am so glad you were here. Don't forget to scroll down and rate the podcast so that others can find it. And if you've noticed, since we've been all at home, all of my 10 people, (laughs) I have moved to releasing this broadcast from Mondays to Tuesday. That's just a better um, option for me to try to get it all done. So you might make that adjustment in your schedule. We will be taking a break over the 4th of July holiday week, so also note that. But I look forward to being with you again very soon. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Stirring Faith Podcast. We plan to release a new episode once a week. I would invite you to become a subscriber because it makes it so much easier to make sure you get it. Please remember, rate, review, and share the podcast. You're the one that makes the impact. And you never understand the difference your suggestion could make in the life of another person just by recommending and sharing the resource. So please pass along what you find here. Don't keep it to yourself. It's so easy to do. Post it from Spotify. It's so easy. Or put it in your stories. I would personally be grateful. And remember, there's more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful resources at your fingertips. Just go to www.sheyearns.com where you're going to find reading plans, videos, articles, and other resources, more than there's ever been before, to help stir more desire for God into your everyday life. I'm Cherry Strange. It is always a pleasure to meet you here.